The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Amen. Thank you, Meg. Music is worship. You can worship God, even if you're not a musician, you can still worship God through whatever musical, even or lack of musical gifts, God has given you. It may not be here in front of the church, just when you're home alone, just you in the bedroom, wherever room you're in, you can worship God. As we get started this morning, who are you? The big idea for today says because of God's salvation, you can be secure that God cannot and will not lose you or forget you. You go, yeah, I kind of understand that. Well, sometimes we intellectually, intellectually know that. But do we really? When we look at that person in the mirror and you think, oh God, how can you love that person? So I went on the internet and I was looking around and I found this picture because sometimes when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we see ugliness. So there, there's a warning here, okay? All right. I found an ugly picture. And the, according to this picture, it has made kids scream in terror, okay? It has made women just roll their eyes and leave the room. It has made men just laugh at this picture, okay? It's a horrific picture. Are you ready? All right, show it. See? This is what I see when I get up in the morning, okay? <laughs> Scary, isn't it? <laughs> and I tell you no lies. I have made kids cry. <laughs> Girls just leave. It's like, he, okay, I'm, I'm out of here. All right? I've been laughed at more times than I can count. But when you look in the mirror, do you love that person you see or do you hate them? Do you see a ray of sunshine or a cloud of doom? When you go to work or you come to church, are you the same person that you see in the mirror? Or do you wear a mask and hide behind it? Are there certain people you can take your mask off for? Do you trust to see, do you, who do you trust to see your real self? Anybody? God? Do you open yourself up to God? Or do you only pray certain types of prayers so you can stay safe? When you look in that mirror, do you see an ugly ogre or a beautiful star? As we read God's word this morning, realize that God knows what is behind your mask and loves you anyway. Jesus has seen your soul. He has died for you anyway. The Holy Spirit has indwelled your soul, even though it's not perfect. And so this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 139. Yes, the whole psalm. So stand as we read God's word today. Psalm 139, if you're in the Pew Bibles, that's page 521. 
And so I'm using the Pew Bible today. Psalm 139. As we read God's Word, realize this is worship too. Reading God's Word. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take my wing, take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light will be as night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet was none of them. How precious are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I could count them, there would be more than sand. I awake, and I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! Oh, the men of blood depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do not I loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there are any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for your words. And as we look at these words this morning, Lord, I pray that it is not my words that are coming out of my mouth, Lord, but your words. I pray, Lord, that you will prick our hearts and touch our souls, change our intellect, that we can worship you and serve you better, Lord. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that your Holy Spirit will work on their heart and their soul to turn to you today for the first time. You are the mighty God, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Growing up, when I was in college, early newly married, I never read Psalms 139, other than just maybe in passing. But in recent years, this psalm has got so much meaning to me as I've gotten older. We read this psalm. Because of God's salvation, you can be secure that God cannot and will not lose you or forget you. And as we go through this psalm, we're going to look at three areas where God knows you. And the first one is God knows you and loves you. 
As you read the first six verses here and you look at it, it says God knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows when you're sitting down. He knows when you're working. He knows when you're being lazy. He knows when you're playing. He knows it. He knows your thoughts. That's a scary thought. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. He knows when you're going to put your foot in your mouth. You think God hates you because of what you've done in the past. You think that you cannot, God cannot use you because of some sin you have currently. You think that you're ugly in God's eyes because of a past lifestyle or a present situation. Guess what? God knows all about your awfulness. In fact, God knows your life more. God knows the sins in your life that you are completely unaware of that you're doing. God knows about the ugliness in your life, and he can add to your list. Your life is ugly. Your life is full of sin and awfulness. And compared to the holiness of God, you are nothing. Not even as a speck of light. You are worse than a worm. This scripture says that God has searched you. He knows you. He knows you better than your twin. He knows you better than your mother knows you. He knows you better than your spouse knows you. And you have secrets from your spouse. There are no secrets from God. He knows what you're thinking while you're trying to go to sleep at night. He knows what you daydream about. He knows about those words and thoughts that you have that you've never said out loud. God knows what's in every cabinet, every closet, and every junk drawer in your house. Both your physical house and your metaphorical house. God also sees the good you have done. Even when you, it goes unnoticed and unthanked. He sees how you have helped others, even if you think it was nothing. Sometimes the smallest act of kindness can have the largest effect. God knows the good you do better than you do. I may forget to thank you. Sonia frequently says thank you and remind me to say thank you. I may not have known about some good deed, great deed that you have done. God sees it all, the good and the bad. I've had people apologize to me for cussing in front of me, especially in the army since I'm a chaplain and I wear the cross on there and they can tell it. It's like it's worse cussing in front of the chaplain than it is normal cussing. Okay. It's like, God does not ask me as a pastor here or as a chaplain. He doesn't come to me and say, okay, I need to report today. Who's done what? You know, you know Peggy, what did, what, what did Peggy tell you today? What did she do? You know, he doesn't ask me that. I'm not a reporting authority. I'm a reminder, maybe, that God is always there. He's always watching. 
Yet for those who are saved by the grace of God through Christ Jesus, God protects you. Look at verse 5. You hem me in, behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. You ever see the Secret Service with the president? You ever watch the videos like when Ronald Reagan was shot and what the Secret Service does? They are surrounding him. They are his bulletproof vest. And in fact, when Ronald Reagan was shot, that's what's one of them that they jumped in front of him and took the bullet. That's their job, is to stand in front and take the bullet. It says God hems you in in front of the back, just like the Secret Service. That's God in front of you and behind you and around you. So no matter how ugly you look in the mirror, God is there protecting you. And you think about it, it says God has put his hand on you. The hand of blessing, the hand of protection. Why do we put a hand on top of our child's head when they're standing next to us? It's a protection. Keep them there. Make sure they don't run away. It's a sign of affection. There's God doing this even though we're so ugly and awful. And yet there's God protecting us and putting his hand on our head. Some of us don't like a hand on our head. It's very personal. You don't put your hands on just anybody's head. You know, if I walked up to some lady and put my hand on their head, some, her husband's probably going to slug me, Okay? You don't do that to people. But God, but when it's the right person in the right situation, it's a sign of grace. It's a sign of protection. And God has done that for us, for you. He has forgiven you. What an overwhelming thought. And David thought it was overwhelming. Look at that in verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain it. I can't understand it is what he said. He says, I can't understand. Why would God do this to me? He knows all my thoughts. He knows all the awfulness inside of me. And yet he still protects me. He still loves me. Being known and loved by God the Father is too wonderful, too awesome, and too hard to understand. Yet it's the truth. Because because of God's salvation, you can be secure that God cannot and will not lose you or forget you. God knows where you are. He knows where you are. Some of you are arrogant and prideful and think you're hiding from God. You think God can't find you. You think you've pulled the wool over God's eyes by your actions. Just because the pastor of the church does not know what your, what your sin is does not mean that God doesn't know about it. So you think, some of you think that God just lost you. He's forgotten about you. You think You're forgotten by God. You think you are so small and insignificant that God cannot find you. Well, you're both wrong. Look at verses 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take to the wings of the morning or dwell in the utmost part of the sea, 
Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. That one's kind of, the, the verse 9 there is kind of weird. The wings of the morning. Remember, they're in Israel. The wings of the morning. Which way is the morning? It's in the east, right? Of the sea. Where is the sea from Israel? It's to the west. So he's saying from east to west, God can't lose you. Heaven, in verse, in verse uh, 7 there, it says about, even as I go up to heaven, well, we think heaven, we think, you know, where God lives. But in Bible times, they didn't have as many words for everything that went above them as we do. We have sky, we have space, and then there's heaven. So heaven in Bible times meant three places. The first heaven was the air and the sky, where the birds fly and the clouds float. The second heaven is above that, where the stars and the moon and the sun reside. We call that space. Then the third heaven is the spiritual realm where God lives, heaven, with a capital H. So a lot of times when you read in the Bible it says heaven or heavens, you have to stop and say, okay, look at the context. Or is he talking about the sky? Or is he talking about the spiritual realm? In this place, I think he's more talking, it's kind of a combination here. Because then he says in Sheol, Sheol means the grave, a hole in the ground. There is no place in the universe that you can go that God cannot find you. God can find the astronauts orbiting the, the, our planet or any other planet. God can find the coal miners that are trapped by a cave-in. God can find you flying at mock speed in a fighter aircraft. He can find you sitting on the bottom of the ocean in a submarine. He can find you speeding away on the interstate when you're running from him. He can find you hiding under the covers in your bedroom. God cannot and will not lose you. You cannot hide from God. Imagine Jesus as a kid playing hide and seek with the neighborhood kids. No matter how well you hid, no matter how quiet you kept, Jesus could walk right up to your hiding spot and tag you. It'd be no fun playing hide and seek with him. Because God knows where you are. You can't hide from him. No matter how dark the situation you find yourself in, God can see you. If someday you are kidnapped and become a slave, God is with you. God is with you at the hospital. God is with you even when you're under hospice care. God is with you while you sit in the ditch in a wrecked car. God is with you when you go bar hopping. God is with you when you're surfing the internet late at night. God is with you while you're yelling at other drivers on your commute to work. Yeah, God had to actually convict me of that many years ago. He still does. God may not approve of all your actions, but he is still there waiting, watching, correcting, warning, and loving you. God knows where you are. He knows your physical location. He knows your spiritual condition. Because of God's salvation, you can be secure that God cannot and will not lose you or forget you. And the third point, God knows your future. He knows your future. Look at verses 13 to 16. He knew you before you were born. God has blessed us with some young families. Val McMurtry's actually not here today, but she's pregnant with her, which fourth child? 
number four, yeah. Lost track. She's had so many of them since she's come here. <laughs> um, you know, God, but he knew you. Any of you remember being in God's womb? Do you remember being in your mother's womb? I don't, no. We don't remember that, but God knew you when you were there. He knew about you when you were there. It says down in um, verse 16, you saw my unformed substance. In the book were written every one of them, the days that were formed, when yet there was none of them. That's kind of awkwardly worded. But what he's saying, he knows all your days. He knows what's going to happen in your life before it happens. You think God has cursed your life? Really? You live in the richest in America, the richest country in the world. You have the best health care system in the world. You don't live on the streets of Rio de Janeiro looking for food in the garbage. You don't live in some jungle in Southeast Asia where you only have one set of clothing that barely covers you. You don't live in Africa where the desert is expanding and wiping out your farm. You are blessed. But if you think your life is awful, maybe it is. The events of your life did not surprise God. God knew about them before you were born. He knew about your health conditions, your diseases, your accident. He knew about the death that would come around you in your life. He knew about your divorce. He knew about your mental condition. And he is waiting for you to surrender your life to him. He is waiting for you to lean on him for your strength. He is here giving you the ability to be content with whatever you have today. God gave you the scripture. He gave you the book of Psalms as a prayer book to turn to when you're depressed, when you're anxious, when you're joyful, when you're in despair, when you're blessed, when you're angry, when you're satisfied. God is here. The book of Psalms is a prayer book. It's got psalms of joy, introspective psalms like this, psalms of when David is angry and upset, when he's lonely, when he's in despair. And they're conveniently, they all say, I or us. You don't even have to change the language. You can just make them your prayer. And use it literally as a prayer book. Other people use Psalms as a songbook. You have to get a Psalter and has the music with it, but you can do it. It's a prayer book. God is here. Jesus suffered on this earth more than you. He was rejected by his hometown folks. He lived as a homeless man at times. He was laughed at and ridiculed. He was called a worker for Satan even as he preached about the kingdom of God. His best friends went, ran away from him and abandoned him in his darkest hour. He was arrested under false charges, beaten and executed in public. For a time, even as his own family rejected him. Yet, you think life is awful? Jesus suffered all this after living in heaven with God the Father. Yet, you think your situation is beyond God's grasp? That God can't understand? Some of you think you're smarter than God because you can afford a five-star hotel room 
with that fancy glass wall shower and a bidet. <laughs> but God who created heaven, who uses our most precious metal on earth, gold, as pavement in heaven. Do you think your own intelligence and worth ethic is greater than God's? Do you think that God cannot remove your wealth and your intelligence in a second? Wealth is temporary. No matter how much or how little you have, it will all disappear the second you die. God knows your future. <laughs> Unfortunately, he doesn't tell us what it is other than the ultimate future of heaven. Because if you knew what would happen tomorrow, would you need to step out in faith to face it? God knows your thoughts. He knows your heart, your words. God knows where you are. God knows your entire life from birth to death. How do you react to such a great revelation? How does it change how you live? How does it change how you think? According to King David in this psalm, it changes it in three ways. Because you were known by God the Father, it changes you in three ways. One, it changes you because God is precious to you. It changes you because you hate evil. It changes you because you desire to be led by God alone. It changes you, it makes you, because you are known by God the Father, God is precious to you. You ponder the greatness of God instead of watching television. You praise God for all the wonders that you do not understand. You thank God for all the blessings you cannot count and for the ones you don't even know about. <coughs> God's blessings are greater than the number of grains on the sand, on all the beaches, on all the oceans, on all this world. Take time to ponder God's greatness. That's what David did in verse 17 and 18. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. He wakes up in the morning. God, you're still there. He didn't leave you overnight. That's what David ponders. How precious God is. How precious his blessings and the things that he has given to us. Our salvation. Is God precious to you? Can you make him more precious? God, because you are known by God the Father, you hate evil. Verses 19 to 22. You read that and you're going, this is really in the Bible? This sounds pretty, this sounds pretty nasty. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, God. And men of blood depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. And then he goes, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a completed hatred. I count them as my enemies. He's like, we're not supposed to do that. You are to try to defeat evil with good. Jesus fleshes this one out in the New Testament. You are to defeat evil with good. You are to love your enemies instead of physically attacking them. And as you read through this, and you notice it, it says David says he hates them, but who does he, he doesn't say, God, let me slay them. He says, God, you take care of it. He says, you take care of it. Oh, that, 
In verse 19, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. He says, God, take care of the wicked. You are to love your enemy instead of attacking them. You are to spread the truth of Jesus Christ instead of the lies of the world. You are to speak up for God's truth instead of remaining silent. You are to pray for a miraculous victory instead of maneuvering with backroom politics. You are to pray for the kingdom of heaven to come as Jesus preached it. In addition, you are must to do everything humanly possible to remove sin from your own life. You say you hate evil? What about the evil in your own life? Jesus said that it is better to gouge out your eye that causes you to sin than to sin with perfect eyes. That holiness is more important than physical wholeness. Hate the sin in your life and do everything you can to remove it from your life. Remember that this world is evil and that your time here is temporary. You remember that God wins in the end and that Satan is already defeated. So hate the sin in your life and seek ways to remove it. Because you are known by God the Father, your God is precious. You hate evil. And because you are known by God the Father, you desire to be led by God alone. Verses 23 and 24, the last two verses. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, try me, lead me. You ask God to search you. You ask God to try you like a judge. You ask God to lead you. You say you want to be closer to God, then prove it. I'm going to give you this challenge. You want to be closer to God? Make these two verses a prayer request that you pray daily between now and Easter. Pray these and mean it. Say this to God about yourself. Open your heart and mind and give God permission to change your life. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I pray that you will hunger and thirst, thirst, hunger and thirst after righteousness, like the hunger you have for lunch right now. That's why we fast. That's why I fast once in a while. And that hunger pain is reminding that we should hunger for God. God knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself, both the good and the bad, yet he loves you anyway. If you are doubting God's love on your life, take this psalm, read it out loud to that ugly person in the mirror. Read it slowly, read it more. I'm sorry, take, take your Bible, pick it up, stand in front of the mirror and start reading this psalm to that person looking at you. Out loud. And see what it does to your soul. And see what it does to your heart and your relationship with God. Do it. Do it more than one time. Then let me know how God changes your heart and mind as you do that. 
Christian, I pray that you will open your heart and your mind in a way that you have never had before. I pray that you will confess to God that secret sin that you have hidden and justified for too long. I pray that you will take a step of faith by praying a dangerous prayer that's found here in Psalm 139. Because if you think about it, you pray the prayer to God, search me, to try me, and to lead me, how that could change your life. Even if you're already a Christian. It can change you. For some of you, you have never taken that step of faith toward God before. You may have never repented of the sin in your life. You have never chosen to believe God's word. I pray that you turn to God today for the first time by repenting of the sin and trusting your future to God the Father because of Jesus Christ came and died for your sins. I pray that you will yield to the Holy Spirit that is working in your heart today. Come to Jesus for the first time. So whether you need to come to Jesus for the first time or come to Jesus again as a Christian, I pray that you you will. I pray that you can use this psalm and the other psalms in the scripture as your prayer book to reach out to God in those dark times and in those joyous times. You are the, God, you are the mighty God. But yet he loves us anyway. You look how vast the universe is. When I was in college, I had this poster on the wall from National Geographic's. And it started off in the corner. It had a picture of the sun and, and Mercury and Venus and Earth and Mars. You know, Earth was still a dot, you know, maybe an eighth of an inch around, but you could see them. And then it zoomed out to see all our planets. And then it zoomed out to see our star with our neighboring stars. Then it zoomed out to our galaxy. Then it zoomed out to the galaxies that are around us. Then it zoomed out to the whole universe. And you sit there and look at that poster, and it just made you feel so small and insignificant compared to the vastness of this universe. And we are. Compared to the universe, we are small and insignificant. Compared to the earth, each one of us is small and insignificant. But then you read Psalm 139, and it says, God knows everything about you. In the New Testament, Jesus says, he knows how many hairs are on your head. That's easier for some of you than, you know, than some of us. You know. <laughs> but God knows it. He goes, if I know when a sparrow falls in death, do you think I don't care about you? He does, even as if you don't think so. A Satan lying, saying that you're insignificant. God thinks you're significant. Jesus died for you. So turn to him. Turn to him for the first time. Turn to him again. Continually turn to him. And you go, I don't know how. Well, you start by looking here, reading this over and over and over. You are the mighty God. Let's pray. Lord God, we just come to you and praise you for all that you provide, Lord. We thank you for this scripture that you've given us, that you 
see us as precious. You see us as important enough to save. Help us to turn to you and to worship you through all that you provide, Lord. You're the mighty God. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.